1 Timothy 1, 12 to 17. Actually, I'm going to read it and you're going to listen, but you could just about make it a prayer. Is this coming through all right? Yeah. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory for ever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Richard, for reading. As you think about the people in your life, uh, I wonder who comes to mind as to being the person least likely to ever come to faith in Jesus. Who's the person in your life who you just think is the person least likely to ever come to faith? The person you think, there's just no way I could ever imagine that happening. Not on your Nelly. I've got more chance of winning lotto and I don't even buy a ticket. Who's the person you think, there's just no way they are the least likely to ever come to faith? Got someone in mind? Let me tell you about uh, some people in my life. I've I've changed the names, but you'll get the drift. First of all, there's Matt. Uh, I used to play sport with Matt. Uh, Matt is big and loud and obnoxious. He swears like a trooper and drinks like a fish. He's the sort of guy that you don't want to go to the football with because he just hurls abuse at the umpires and the opposition and anyone within his vicinity. And when it comes to things of faith, he's just not interested. He doesn't even want to have a conversation. That's Matt. Then there's Uncle Henry. He's part of my extended family. Uh, Uncle Henry is kind and educated, a a real gentleman, you would say. Uh, He's given his working life in service of others. Apart from his work, uh, his great loves in life are his family and golf. And life is really good for Uncle Henry. Um, In fact, life is so good that God just doesn't get on the radar for him. Why? There's no felt need of God. And then there's Rob. Uh, Rob's not 
formally educated, I don't think, but he's extremely well read. In fact, I think he's read more books about Christian things than most people who come to church. But for Rob, uh, Christianity is intellectually bankrupt. Uh, he, he just thinks there are so many holes in it. How on earth could you possibly believe this stuff? And then there's Sharon. Uh, Sharon is my transgender friend that I've been getting to know this year. Uh, she's an atheist and so is her wife. I, I get the sense for Sharon that when it comes to the things of God, uh, she feels like, why on earth would I want to trust a God I feel just rejects me? Who's the person in your life who is least likely to come to faith in Jesus? You know, they're just not interested. Maybe life's really good for them. Maybe they've got intellectual objections to faith. Maybe it's something far more personal. Who's the person in your life who's least likely to come to faith? Because today's passage speaks to them and it speaks to you. Uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, please have 1 Timothy 1 open. Uh, it'll help make a lot more sense of what I'm saying. Uh, let me pray and ask that God would speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much that you're a speaking God, that you don't leave us in the dark. So we ask that in the power of your spirit, you would come and take your word and make it alive to us this morning, that each of us, whatever our situation, would know your, your voice speaking into our lives so please speak to us now. Amen. Well, let, let me introduce you to the person who is least likely to come to faith in Jesus. And it's a bit of a surprise. See, Paul was a Pharisee. Pharisees knew their scriptures inside out. They were moral and upright. In fact, they were so zealous to honour God that when this new group, this new sect of Jesus followers came on the scene, Paul thought it was his religious duty to persecute them, to lock them up, to get rid of them. See, Paul is moral and upright and zealous. He will do anything to honour God. But at this point in his life, as he looks back, he realises he was on the wrong track. He was acting out of ignorance, out of unbelief. He was zealous, wanting to honour God, morally upright, and yet completely on the wrong track. We would say he was trapped in religion. It's really easy to do, isn't it? To be trapped in religion. You can be esteemed, you can be church-going, you can tick the box later in the year and census night that says, yes, I'm religious, and yet you can be on the wrong track. When I was about 13, uh, my Sunday school teacher was a man in his 70s, uh, whose name was Bert. Uh, as a younger man, Bert was a real sportsman. He had won the, the 440 yards for Wales and played rugby for his country. 
And Bert had been a churchgoer all his life. And yet here he was in his 70s, he, he admitted, listen, for most of that, I didn't understand what was at the heart of Christian faith. We would say that Bert, like the Apostle Paul, was trapped in religion. I wonder if you fall into that camp. See, it's easy to get involved here at church. It's a, it's a good place to meet people, you know, really lovely people. Um, it's a good place, you know, if the pub's not your scene, the, you know, church is a great place to be. You can get involved and make a lot of decent and good uh, contribution to the, the community. We can play church, but we can miss out on what's actually at the heart of Christian faith. So what was the way forward for Paul? What, what changed? How, how did things progress for him? Well, have a look there at verse 14. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the very worst. Mercy is not getting the punishment that you deserve. Grace is getting the kindness you do not deserve. And Paul says that the Lord Jesus has lavished both grace and mercy on him. And so, so abundant, so enormous to capture the magnitude of what Jesus has done for him, Paul actually has to invent words here. When it, when it says there, the grace of our Lord Jesus was poured out on me abundantly, uh, Paul's invented that word abundantly. It's literally superabounded. Uh, we, we, we do it as well. You know, we might take words like giant and enormous and put them together to make the word ginormous because we think giant and enormous by themselves aren't big enough to capture what we're trying to say. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's saying the undeserved kindness of Jesus is the, the super, uber, abundant grace. It's like standing under Niagara Falls just to take a shower. That's how abundant it is. This is the vast, generous, over-the-top love and kindness that Jesus has shown to Paul. How does Jesus show this grace to Paul? Verse 15, here is a trustworthy saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, including Paul. Now that, that phrase of a trustworthy saying only comes up five times in the New Testament and they're clustered all in 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. They're these short, pithy little sayings. They're like the steel cable that holds a cable car in the air. The steel cable itself is only thin, but it's so strong, you can stake your life on it. And that's what these trustworthy sayings are like. They might be short and small, but they, they carry a weight. You can stake your life on them. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
Jesus poured out his love, his undeserved kindness on this man who is trapped in religion, this man who is trying to destroy Jesus and his followers. Jesus sets him free, does something that Paul couldn't do for himself. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, including Paul. Now, why is Paul telling us this? Why is Paul telling us his story? What's the whole point of that? Well, have a look there at verse 16, please. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Why does Jesus show mercy and grace to Paul? Well, Paul is the example. Paul is the prototype. If Jesus can show mercy and grace to Paul, he can show it to anyone. If Jesus can forgive the worst of sinners, if Jesus can forgive the one who was trying to destroy him, the one who wanted to wipe Jesus from the face of the earth, if Jesus can forgive him, then he can forgive anyone. If God can save Paul, he can save anyone. Paul is the example. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is the trustworthy saying, and Paul is telling us this for our benefit. Paul then rounds out this section by linking what he's been saying back to the situation in Ephesus. What's the, the, he's writing this letter to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, and he, say, he says to Timothy, listen, this super, uber, abundant grace of Jesus that I've been telling you about, the point of this is that it needs to remain central to the congregation at Ephesus. When our kids were younger, we had a, um, a family holiday on a remote part of the Western Australian coast. And at low tide, you could scramble down the rocks onto the beach and there was this shipwreck. Uh, the Korean Star was shipwrecked back in 1988. And, yeah, you know, we had a great time clamouring all over it. But shipwrecks are sad, aren't they? They tell a sad story. Uh, you know, what, what was once this, you know, big, strong ship just stands there idle. The, the, the strong steel plating... You know, it's just brittle rust that you can break off in your fingers. Shipwrecks are sad. They tell a sad story. And Paul says that false teachers shipwreck themselves and they take others with them. Have a look there at verse 18, please. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you might fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. See, shipwrecks are sad. False teaching shipwrecks both the content of faith and the experience of living out faith. 
false teaching shipwrecks confidence in the truth and confidence to live according to the truth. So what's Timothy to do? Well, there are very few fights worth having in church, but this is one that is worth having. The fight to keep God's grace central. So what are we to make here when Paul says he's handed Hymenaeus and Alexander over to Satan in order to be, they be taught not to blaspheme? What, what, what does that mean? Well, to be handed over to Satan, uh, where, where's Satan's realm? Where does, where's his territory? His territory is outside the church. It's beyond God's people. So to be handed over to Satan is to be excluded from church, to be excluded from the Christian community, to be treated as an outsider. Now, why do that? Well, in order they be taught not to blaspheme. To blaspheme is to call something that is good, evil. False teaching takes what is good and true and calls it evil. In fact, in verse 13, we're told that Paul himself says, I I was once a blasphemer. I was trying to destroy God's work in Jesus. I was calling what is good something evil. So to be handed over to Satan in order to be taught not to blaspheme is to be excluded from the Christian community with the purpose of repentance, that people might come to their senses, that once again they would see what is true and right and good. It's so that they would repent. The only thing that sets people right with God is God's grace in Jesus. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And it is worth fighting to keep God's grace central to the life of the church so people don't shipwreck their faith and take others with them. So what do we walk away with from this morning? Well, I want to uh, throw out five ideas. Uh, Hopefully there might be something that's useful for you amongst that. First of all, uh, let's think about what's your picture of who God is? What's your picture of God? Do you think of God as the heavenly policeman playing spot it and stop it? Saw you doing that again, gotcha. Or do you think of God as the one with the the long white beard having a sleep in his armchair? God is irrelevant, not interested. This trustworthy saying tells us that God is active, not passive. He's not just sitting back in his armchair and letting the world do its own thing. Christ Jesus came into the world. God sent him into the world. God takes action. He's motivated by his love for people to act on their behalf. God is not passive, but active. He's not written people off, but loves them and wants to connect with them. Second thing, 
For some of you this morning, um, you might not be a follower of Jesus. Paul tells us his story. He holds himself up as a prototype. He is the worst of sinners. But this is written so that we would know that if Jesus can save the worst of sinners, if he can save Paul, then he can save anyone. You are not beyond the reach of Jesus' mercy and grace. Now, I I don't know all of you. I don't know all the skeletons in your closet. But God does. And he says to you, whatever you have done, whatever your history, I'm offering you my mercy and grace. You are not beyond his reach. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I don't know if you've ever thought that there's an opportunity for a fresh start. Today's a great time to make a fresh start with God. If that's you, um, I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to have a conversation, try and help you take next steps. For some of you, third thing, for some of you, uh, you just yearn for someone in your life to come to faith in Jesus. You know, your heart aches for the person you just think it just seems so unlikely they're not even interested or life is just too good or they've got intellectual objections or maybe it's something far more personal it just seems so unlikely But this tells us this morning that if God can save Paul, the worst of sinners, the most unlikely person, then God can still save the most unlikely person. God can save your most unlikely person. So don't give up on them. God hasn't given up on them. Don't give up praying for them. Don't give up loving them. Don't give up asking God for opportunities with them. Don't give up loving them. Fourth thing, and uh, I want to say this particularly to the leaders here, Uh, we can... See just how important God's grace is that it needs to be central to the congregation because Paul names real people. Here we have real people, Hymenaeus and Alexander, real people known in the congregation and they've shipwrecked their faith and they're taking others with them and it hurts the congregation. So leaders must act out of concern for the good of the congregation. 
So if you're a leader here, if you're a leader as part of this church, then keep God's grace central to the life of this church. Don't get distracted by false teaching. See, God's grace was central when this congregation was started. I was here that first morning. That concern you have that others would come to experience the grace of Jesus. That concern you have that the people here would grow in their understanding of God's grace as God's word is taught. God's grace was central when this congregation was started. So if you're a leader here, it needs to remain central. Keep God's grace central in what you are doing. Last thing to say. Uh, For many of you, uh, you are followers of Jesus. uh, And this passage shows us that God's grace is something that is to be savoured and celebrated. We hear Paul burst into song, uh, verse 17, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Here he is in full praise of what God has done. See, God's grace is not just a truth to be studied, but a truth to be savoured and celebrated. God's grace is not just a truth to study, but a truth to be savoured and celebrated. So here's your homework, okay? Here's what I want you to do this coming week. Two, two things, two-part homework. First thing I want you to do is I want you to t- take f- just five minutes each day to read verses 12 to 17 to yourself. Read it out loud and remind yourself of God's grace to you. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save you. Take five minutes each day just to read verses 12 to 17 to yourself. Okay, first part of the homework. Second part of the homework then is later on in the week, I want you to choose a favourite hymn or song that captures for you your thankfulness for God's grace to you. Maybe you're a, a hymn sort of person, you know, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. Uh, Maybe you like something a bit more contemporary. Uh, Maybe it's something you you sing here at church. And what doesn't really matter. I I want you to take your favourite hymn or song and I want you to crank it up loud and fill your lungs and sing. Express your thankfulness your praise of God for what he has done for you in Jesus. God's grace is not just a truth to be studied, but a truth to savour and celebrate. My brothers and sisters, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to save us. There is nobody beyond his reach. So don't give up on them. Keep God's grace central to your life together as a church and savour and celebrate all the goodness God has shown to you in Jesus.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you sent Jesus into the world to save sinners, to save us. And so now to you as the eternal king, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen.